church boys. So before we get started, fellas, I know we've got a whole list of things to talk about. I've got on written on my list. Is it showing up? Anyway, no, before before we do before we get into up. that, I I have to say I was checking my I was checking the church boys answering machine uh, this week, and we have another message. So sit back and enjoy. Uh. So that was, I thought that was nice. She's a Billy fan. First of all, Lucas fan. So my I, mom does not, there's no way my mom is lying. Your mom is saying that she thinks Lucas is quote classy. <laughs> I didn't she told you me. Hit. Go ahead. Classy. We just I lost That is not a word I would listeners. use. Oh yeah. <laughs> all, all one and a half people are done. So I, I, but I was, I find it interesting that your mother sounds a lot like Jiminy Glick. I thought that was <laughs> weird. So stupid. That's a stupid. Every show. reference to a celebrity that you have is literally somebody from the, the silent film era so, because that's you know, when you Jiminy were born. Click, that's so the it's like Martin Short character. That's the Martin Short character, the fat one who interviews celebrities. Yeah. Hello, boy. You know that. Anyway, I go. I had to Google it, and it said like 1932. <laughs> yeah, sure, IMDb whatever. it. Uh-huh. Oh my anyway, gosh. so I'm sure you remember the stock market crash. <laughs> <laughs> Which, God forbid, we might be seeing happen again. Yeah, it could um, happen. So, well, that's really uplifting. So, so we, anyway, we have a whole list of things to to we have a whole list of things to start with it's to talk time. to talk about. A lot of them are connected to well, you know, COVID nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> that's never gonna get. We will never me. get old. I actually, I actually do it all day. It's really kind of creepy. <laughs> like I'll be like COVID nineteen. <laughs> Yeah, and my kids are like, what are you doing? Like, they just look at me like, what are you doing? I'll just be like doing work at the time. Like, COVID-19. <laughs> I would like to put Kenneth Copeland and Nancy Pelosi in the same room together for like 30 minutes. I they would have a like... lot of ice cream. I mean, I'm pretty like chocolate ice cream would be. All right. So speak- Can you imagine, though? She'd pro- he'd probably. Oh, I'm going to stop. He would, I'm stopping. He would probably say some things that he would regret. But um, I don't, I don't know. I just feel like his eyes would just see right through Nancy. Can you imagine the war of eyes those two would have? They just, yeah. they both have very specific. I'm going to use the word specific type eyes. They're, That's all. Yes. I'm going to stop. You mean stop anus, me? Somebody stop. Are you talking about you Nancy Pelosi's anus eyes? <laughs> stop! I'm I didn't. Stopping. I'm asking. Lucas I'm trying to figure out what you're talking. About. I'm not. I'm not talking about Reverend Copeland. I'm asking about Nancy. If that's what you meant I when you asked something that. Something else, actually. So I'm glad that's okay. what you're saying. I okay. thought you said something else, even worse. Okay. Uh, no, both of them have very specific <laughs> eyes. I'm like totally speechless on this episode already. I have nothing to say. I don't know Poor what Lucas. Else to say. They, they stare at you with those eyes. 
Stop it, Billy. It's like she could okay. set them on the table and walk away and they would <laughs> still be staring at you. She probably could. Most of her face could probably just be left right there on the counter. Stop. I mean, listen, they both probably could leave some things behind on a table. Stop it. <laughs> We're already going to hell. This show has been going. I literally, we Chris are. Quick, I'm do seconds to the okay. show. So this will. And you've got hell. Okay, so this will this will make <laughs> this will make it better. So Nancy Pelosi, with since the last time we spoke, made a very um, had a very interesting interview with uh, the Late Late Show host James Corden. Did you guys see this interview that she did? I really like him, yeah. by the way. I, I think do he's. Too. I don't. Oh, I, do I hate James Corden. I the think he's the only of a sane thousand one out of white all hot the sons. late night show people. Oh no! I How should... could you hate him? No, okay, here's here. Okay, yeah, I don't. Hate... I don't. I don't hate him. You don't like British people? What's the deal? Uh, no, I don't like chubby people. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I, I was, it's like self-hate. <laughs> no, I. My thing with with James Corden is he seems like a very likable guy, very nice guy, and I like that about him. There's, I have nothing to complain about him personally. I just don't find him funny. That's that's my, oh. that's my issue. Yeah, so, I, I like that I he enjoys himself. Yes, like, I do. I feel I, like he's. I can like, appreciate that. You know, and Fallon used to be like that, where he would like you could tell he was like having so much fun, he was laughing at like just life, and then, <laughs> and then Trump. like yeah, <laughs> yeah, then he, then Trump happened with him, and it was yeah. just all over. I just don't understand. Like, if you're a late, I get making fun of everybody, but like, I don't get why you want to ruin your whole show by just being a Debbie Downer about one political party or what. I just like I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get weird. why that's the approach. But yes, he he enjoys himself, James, and. He enjoys chocolate ice cream. Yes, he does. Much like Nancy. And you know who? Yes. So Nancy Pelosi was on, and she was talking about ice cream. He's interviewing her. And so we have, I have the clip here. See, she did a longer interview with Corden, but he's talking to her about, you know, getting by during this coronavirus pandemic and everybody's staying at home. Anyway, so he had her on his show, and she took him on a little tour of her, uh, of her kitchen. And it came across, it got... It got panned worldwide. I mean, everybody thought this was terrible. So let's let's play this real quick, and then and we can talk about it. Welcome back. We're here with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and we've asked her to share something from her home for a little late, late show and tell. Uh, Speaker Pelosi, what have you found? What are you going to share with us from your home? Okay, before we get... She has got to have the worst plastic surgery I have ever seen. I mean, we're talking oh, worse it. than Kenny Rogers bad. I mean, that's she doesn't even look. I didn't know he had plastic surgery. Wait a second. Wait, Listen, the wait, woman's I, 80 years old. Lucas, Let's be, she looks Lucas. good for 80. God, she looks you like look a, good for 82, Chris. But I mean, she really <laughs> looks good for 80. Okay, But she's no, she looks awful. And you didn't wait. You didn't know that Kenny Rogers had plastic surgery. I mean, Kenny Rogers, again, is a World War Two era star. So, no, I don't. He pay attention just to Kenny. died. He does not. A World I mean, War God II forgive era. me. But yeah, silent film era again. So fun fact, my my producing partner for the films we do, Edgar Struble, was Kenny's keyboard player and music director for 15 years. Oh, wow. So. So yeah. Edgar, okay, so let me cool. ask you. I love yeah, you've you, met Edgar before. Yeah. Did, did you notice, Lucas, that Kenny Rogers had had plastic surgery, had had work done? I thought he probably had a little work done. He looked like somebody above, who was pre- above the nose. Yeah, he looked like somebody who was pretending to be Kenny Rogers. I mean, that's what he looked like. Oh no! So anyway, okay. So actually, he said hmm? in 2012, "I regret that." I don't know. Apparently, some sort of plastic surgery that he regretted it. 
was. So, yes, I think everybody regretted it. It was terrible. So now right. we're shaming this okay. poor man. Oh, he's dead. Anyway, so back to do? shaming Nancy. All right, back to Nancy. Here we go. So Corden has asked her to take a tour of part of her house, and here's she's in her kitchen, and everybody loves to point out that she's in front of two twenty-four thousand dollar uh, refrigerators. So here she goes. They were enormous chocolate. refrigerators. Yes, huge. Really? Chocolate, chocolate, chocolate candy. Oh, she's got a basket of chocolate here. Oh wow. And this is this is something you can get through the mail. Okay. Run out. Can I show, show you? Me. Yeah, absolutely. This is the episode of Cribs I never knew I needed. Not funny. <laughs> oh, my. Wow. Other people in our family go for some other flavors, but chocolate, and then we have some other chocolate here. <laughs> See, yeah. I've always felt a connection with you, and now I understand why. Mm-hmm. Since you've been uh, isolating in your house, how much uh, of your of your regular diet do you think is ice cream and candy? Well, uh, um, as much as possible. Uh, it is. Uh, it, 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 I enjoy it. I like it better than anything else. And I don't know why, but it seems to agree with me. I have a lot of energy, and we just got to restock oh, sorry, the I... ice cream uh, right for Easter Sunday because we were. So we say enjoying. Everybody's got their Easter. I would have done if ice cream were not invented. I just wonder. (laughs) I agree. I don't know who I am without it. (laughs) So, there you go. Can I wait? What? Hmm. Whenever anybody says it agrees with me, I instantly get grossed out because. But like she, and then it's like their digestive system thing. Like Like if it didn't, yeah. If it didn't, watch out. So why are people so mad about this? Well, because she comes across as an elitist, right? She comes across as out of touch. I mean, that was that's the, that was the criticism of her, right? What did you think, Lucas? Had you seen the ad before today? So or not yeah, the ad, the, I saw the, the interview clip. with James, mm-hmm. and then the ad from the Trump campaign. I think takes you know it makes it sound even worse because it's got all the other sound bites that are in there. Right. And look, I mean, I have two things of ice cream that's you know coconut non dairy in my fridge right now. And uh, I do like chocolate, it's not ice cream. But it's you know, it's it's everybody's in a different position through this thing, and it is tough to hear the people that are saying you have to shut down. You know that it, you know. I mean, I saw. I think it was a tweet where somebody said, you know, it's really hard to like. You know, don't we all want to take advice from these celebrities that are in their backyard <laughs> enjoying the LA sun, right. saying, you know, while they're sitting by their pool and working out, like, hey, just you know, just stay at home. And then you have kids that are living in abusive situations yeah. and people crammed in little, you know, studio apartments and all this kind of stuff. And so I, I, yeah, I'm a little nicer than the two of you, but I think that it does come across a little bit, uh, a little, little condescending and a little elitist. And see, that's the thing. I don't Can have, I... I don't have any problem with her having a big kitchen, a multi-million dollar. I don't, house. I don't have any issue with no. that at all. I don't mind. If you want three refrigerators, refrigerators have three refrigerators. If you want to fill it full of ice cream, God bless you. I wish mine was full of ice cream. The reason that it isn't, I ate it all, right? I just haven't been back to the store. <laughs> the problem is know the tone that you're using and how it sounds in this situation. I mean, that's that's the, it's the tone well, deafness of it all. But here's the thing. I'm going to take a different position, not just to be annoying, but because... I feel like Republicans and cons- yeah, Republicans <laughs> and conservatives don't ever mind elitism. Like it doesn't bother us if it's somebody we like. Oh well, yeah, right. So it's like, I mean, listen, if it's Trump, I mean, 
goodness sake, the man painted everything in gold. If it's, you know, we don't really have a problem with it. I actually feel like, and I am not a fan of Nancy Pelosi, okay? But I will say it was an attempt to relate to people, and I know it didn't probably, but I don't know. I found it mildly endearing, which for me to say that about Pelosi is probably a strange thing because, I, again, I'm not a fan. It just it didn't bother me that much. I, I, I watched it and I'm like, OK. And then I watched the Trump ad and I'm like, OK, let's pull some Trump nuggets from the oh, yeah. things he said in the last 12 minutes. Oh, right. And, and I, 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 sure totally, I totally agree. I think but I think that it was funny. I just it was so tone deaf. That's what made it funny. And what really made it funny it to is. me. What? Yeah. And I, I wonder, like, how much of that, because, I mean, you have producers, like, we know how this works, like, producers yeah, contact her people and say, hey, we got this idea, you know, want to kind of show, you know, what you're doing during, you know, quarantine, da, 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 you know, do you have anything, like, that we can highlight? And, and so I wonder, like, while this is happening, is James watching this and going, like, oh, this is going to be all, like, I mean, at what, at what level right. did somebody go, <laughs> oh. This just happened. And who wanted yeah. the orange cardigan? I would love to talk to that person. The person who was like, grab an orange cardigan and wrap yourself with it like Britney Spears and the snake. Like, yeah. I don't understand. I, I guess for well, me, for I felt image. like, okay, she's trying to be a human. She's trying to be a human being, which we don't see from politicians. And the people on the right love it, and I'm on the right generally, when it's Trump trying to be the people, but they don't like it when it's Nancy Pelosi. So there's a little bit of a double standard well, there, there, I think. Of course there's a double standard. It's a huge double standard. But... It's politics. I mean, that's how it goes. So because when I watched this, it may reminded me of this clip from uh, the history of the world part one with Mel Brooks and Harvey Corman. Okay. This is just the, before you were born. The, Billy, the count, by the, the way. No, the count comes out, talks to Mel Brooks, who's dressed as the king. Harvey Corman is the count. And he comes out and tells him that there's problems among the people. And this is where it picks up. Don't correct me. What is it? Of course, your majesty. I've come on the most urgent of business. It yes. is said that the people are revolting. You said it. They stink on ice. No, Your Majesty, this is a very serious problem. The peasants feel you have no regard for them. What? I have no regard for the peasants. They are my people. I am their sovereign. He's got a rifle. He's hunting. Or I he's love them. Trap shooting. Oh! The peasant is launched into the air. Drifting to the left. <laughs> mm. It's good to be the king. So that's that's what it reminded me of when I saw it. Just because it's fun to poke fun at these people because all of them should be poked fun at. Don't get don't get me wrong. If if uh, Newt Gingrich were doing it when he was a speaker, I'd I'd pull the clip of him doing it. And I think that there's plenty of times that we can pull out Trump clips as well. I just think it's funny. Oh, I'm fine pulling the clip. I just think getting outraged. Not that oh, you guys aren't. No. By the way, that that film was 1981, two years before I was born. So yes, you were correct, Lucas. <laughs> Well, I was five. Yeah, yeah I, I knew. I knew. I barely made it, so I was seventy-nine. <laughs> have so. you seen the? Have you uh, seen History of the World Part One? Uh, yes, I okay. have. Billy, I have you no. seen? It? I don't watch anything that was okay, made but, before I was born. Okay, but there, if it's not a cartoon. Billy hasn't seen it. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Unless he was an extra in it, or it was real. <laughs> which, which I have been an extra in some things. <laughs> oh, have you? Have you been in so, videos was, or movies? I was raptured, oh, as, yeah, right. as you'll recall. That's right. It was a fictional so, account. Okay, so look, I I don't, I have two refrigerators. One of them was given to me, and the other one came with the house. Uh, neither one of them cost twenty four thousand dollars. But I would I would love to have a twenty four thousand dollar refrigerator. And I think that people buying stuff commensurate with their income and their level, everything else, that's fine. What's frustrating, you know, if that's a CEO, if that's if that's somebody that's, you know, ran businesses or whatnot, what's tough is seeing a career politician yeah. 
that is, you know, in a district, you know, always kind of being a champion for uh, those that, you know, the have nots of the world. That's where I mean, it didn't offend me, but I could see how that would not hit her, you know, demographic and market that she's trying to reach very well. And and really didn't you know she probably needs to find a new publicist is probably what needs to well, happen. Well, she has a she has a wealthy husband. Her husband's a businessman, so that's not like. And that's fair. She didn't steal this money or um, anything, but I just it's just it's, side to, note, it's tone deaf and worth and it is worth mocking whoever does things like that. Side note: Yes, next week we won't do it today because I, we we're going to go down a rabbit trail. But I do I would love and I, I have a feeling it's going to be everybody versus me. But I would love to have the conversation about whether pastors should be oh. living in ten million dollar homes. So we should do that next week. I could do a video of my house and like we could submit million, that to your ten million getting some ice cream out of the refrigerator. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just I think it's a great discussion about whether it it's healthy for pastors to be living in, in massive mansions. Okay. I would love to have that conversation. I think it's a conversation worth having. I, Billy and I, yeah, you and so I, what, Billy and I have on the agenda. We have had long a little teaser for everybody. Yes. Yes. Chris and I have gone at it about this. So anyway, next week. Yes. Next week. Uh, but what are we? What kind of drama do we need to get into next? I feel like we need to move on from Pelosi. I okay. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt for once. That's what I'm going to do. But you, I'm, but it's an I'm opportunity kind. to make fun of somebody. That's which is what the only thing I have any skill at doing, Billy. All right. So, COVID nineteen. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> COVID nineteen transition. COVID nineteen. That will never not be never funny. <laughs> okay, so the poof gets better every time. All right, so let's let's go into let's let's you guys. We talked earlier this this week. You and I, the, you and I did at least, Billy. I think I mentioned it to you, to Lucas, that uh, the Andre uh, Alexandria Casio Cortez nonsense. Did you watch that video? Uh, oh yes, I saw that one. Is that I see worth, that one. That I'm way more about? outraged about. I'm fine with Nancy's ice cream, but that one ticked me off. <laughs> okay. So is it? Do we want to discuss that? I mean, I've got a queued up. I if we need want to. Nancy's ice cream just to watch that again. Is actually what needs to happen. <laughs> I actually can't click anything. I had to read about it because the sound that comes out of her mouth is really upsetting to me. And I'm not being mean. I'm actually not trying to be mean. I find it discon. I could oh, be having is, a wonderful yeah. day, and it comes on the news, and I'm like, I can't even be here for this right now. Yep. Yes. Yeah, she's. It's like a, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Let's, let, can we play that? Yes, let me get it here. A broken violin. She really, somebody won't really stop playing. All right, here we go. Let's see. The, I think Ugh. when we talk about this idea of reopening society, you know, only in America does the president, when the president tweets about liberation, does he mean go back to work? When we you know, have this discussion about going, going back or reopening. I think a lot of people should just say, no, we're not going back to that. We're not going back to working 70 hour weeks just so that we could put food on the table and not even feel any sort of semblance of security in our lives. The, I think. So what I suppose would she suggest doing in order to Put food yeah, what's the, the alternative the there? Well, I'm assuming she's saying like bully people into <laughs> fighting for or bully, I guess, the government into giving universal health care and right. in, you know monthly check for everybody, which we're yep. basically inching towards anyway at this point. Yes. No, I think it's more than an inch. Yeah. People are not going to want to backtrack from the I actually think that 
here's my prediction, and I don't know anything. I'm not going to be shocked if Trump Trump has very easily moved away from being a he never was a fiscal conservative, but he's embraced all this craziness. And I feel like he'll just do more of that now because everyone's conditioned for it and there's nobody who's willing to fight back against it. So I'm interested to see how he and Joe Biden pivot against each other when both of them are probably not going to be advocating for reduced spending. Well, I'm I'm interested to see what happens this year during debates and during the election and then four years from now, regardless who wins this year uh, between Trump and Biden, four years from now, are conservatives going to, you know, Trump follow Trump, 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 passionate conservatives who have abandoned. There are plenty of conservatives who vote for Trump and have not abandoned their principles, but there are a lot of them who have and hit to see if they're going to make the argument about reduced spending or deficit spending and all because we're running trillion dollar deficits every year now and not just because of where's COVID the tea party and right exactly they're all trump yeah, people that's where they are they're all they're all trumpists now and then that's the problem well and the problem is your choice is joe biden or trump that's the problem right, right. so it's like, yeah that is i issue. still wonder if biden's gonna make it to november you know and <laughs> i'm not saying that something bad's gonna happen to him but i just i just feel like i just i just can't see that actually being the choices in November. I don't see him having that momentum, you know, to be able, and I don't know what I don't know legally what other options there are for the Democratic Party, you know, of what they can do, but it just it just the convention. Yeah, he's, but, yeah, I mean he hasn't been nominated yet, so he's yeah. the, you know, he's the assumed nominee, he's the presumptive nominee. You know, but there's a whole lot of things that working against him. One is 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 he going to get people are saying that he's senile. I don't think he's senile. I think he's just old. I think he's acting more and more like an old man every day, and it's it's cascading, which is an issue for somebody when you're that old. So he's there's he's got an age issue, and he might be have bad enough health because of that to 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 not be able to make it. He might actually, if people are right that he's got dementia, he might be mentally unqualified to be the the nominee by the time you know the summer rolls. The summer rolls around. Who knows? Of course, I I don't know who else they put up that's got the mental capacity. Well, I would just. I mean, I, I would. I just need to shut up. I was okay. Let's come her. back to the outrage on AOC Thank here you. and the statement that she made. <laughs> and the, because you know, I've heard the conversation. I've seen this a little bit online this week. Is if you had the choice between, um, you know, if getting unemployment paid more than what your job did, would you still go back to work? Right. If it meant making less money than what you have you know, on, on a government check. Yeah. Hmm. There's, there was, there was a story that, about this, this employer that got the, the blaze had it. I got to find it where these, these employees have rebelled against the employer for t- accepting the, he, he got the PPP loan so that he can continue to employ these people. He gets to keep them on and they're furious because they would have made more money being on employment with the $600 a month bonus. Right. Are you right. kidding but me? What about hard work and dedication and the value? That's what these people like AOC are eroding. They're eroding right. what it means. We were built to we were built to work and see and find value, not obviously identity in our work, but to find value, hard work, dedication. These mm-hmm. are like basic human things. And they talk about human dignity. When you strip those things away, you're stripping away human dignity and you're not even people aren't even aware that it's happening to them, yep. you know, and, and it's just it's really sad to me to watch these people advocate this stuff. 
you know, I'm working on uh, a new book right now, and one of the things I'm looking at is how socialism has has really injected itself into the Christian world. And there was a guy in in France uh, around the time of the French Revolution, and just after that, and he's really one of the kind of fathers of socialist thought. Uh, his name is Saint Simon, uh, and and so he, you know. As his, he was really, a, you know, kind of a, a social theorist. And but as he dove into religion, he extracted that the central focus of the entire um, gospels and all of Jesus's words was that man was to help do whatever he possibly could to help those in, um, you know, who were down and out and the the least of these in the sense of the poor. And so he summed up all of Christianity, nothing to do with repentance, nothing to do with eternal life, nothing to do with, you know, fellowship with the Lord or anything like that. He summed it all up as helping those who are poor. And that is that was the birth, really, of of socialism. And I think we have those redefinitions today, redefining everything. And, you know, I think AOC is the, the queen of that in the modern era. Well, I don't have a pro- I don't have a problem with a pastor focusing on helping the poor. I, I mean, that's what James talked about, right? He said, "You want to what you know." What I have good... a problem with it when it's when it's he's the saying government. it's the most important thing. And I mean, the the reality is, anytime the the Bible is talking about helping the poor, and this is probably going to offend somebody, it's talking about helping the poor within the church. Oh yeah, that's, it's and not that's talking I mean. about just yeah. helping the poor just anywhere. Now, I think that we as believers should go to you know the ends yes. of the earth to help everybody. I'm not saying that we shouldn't, right. but the biblical mandate, you know, in context, is going let's help those brothers who are in the faith with us and help raise them up, and not just a blanket. You know, we have to take care of every single aspect of society and and put that burden there. That that's one of the benefits of being part of the church is that you get to be in that community. So you don't you don't you're I'm getting off into a theological. You don't feel that that the the church is called necessarily to take care of the poor outside the church. I don't believe that the language that is used in scripture in context is referring to that. Okay. I think it's a wonderful for, thing for us to do, you know, food pantries and outreaches and you know, I want to be involved in all of those things, but when I see people that are making their whole ministry or making people feel bad that they're not living out the gospel because they're not participating in some sort of you know outreach to the poor. I think it's actually uh, it's it's a distortion of what the original context of that scripture was. And gotcha. so, I'm not saying it's a bad idea, but when you make it the central focus, it's really easy to erode the real gospel about you know with the the uh, you know the 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 central aspects of Jesus and make it about some sort of socialism. And that's why I think so many millennials and so many people that are believers are confused by this. Gotcha. That's Although, well, in, and I guess like coming off of that, you know, when Jesus says, love God, love others, helping the poor is part of, you know, inside and outside of the church is part of loving right. others. 100%. But it's not, I understand what you're saying. It's not, the central component is being, is obviously believing the gospel, accepting Christ, living that out. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of people walking around saying, I'm a Christian, and they don't believe the central component of it. They're just maybe helping the poor. That's not what's going to, we know that that's not what's going to save you. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a utopian sort of mindset that's developed, I think, within a lot of modern Christians that, you know, we're trying to make this world you know, perfect for everybody, so good for everybody. And I, I mean, like, I want to do whatever I can to improve everybody's situation to the degree that I am able. But, you know, the reality is, I mean, Jesus also says the poor you're always going to have with you. And so, 
you know, I think that we have to keep those priorities in, in place of like have that eternal mindset. Don't focus on eternity to the point that we're, you know, at the chagrin of anybody's felt needs today, but also don't elevate felt needs over the fact that there's an eternal component there. So we, we are able to keep those in some sort of balance. And I think we can find and, and I think the balance in that is the focus on Christ. Anytime we elevate, you know, a demographic or a people group or an income level over the person of Jesus, I think that's where a lot of these abuses start happening within the church. And 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 I to dovetail off of that, I I agree. One of the, the frustrations I've had in ministry, especially in modern ministry, and and with especially with pastors that are I'd say fifty and younger, is that they're talking. There's so much focus on helping the poor, which I'm all for helping the poor, and so little focus on what about what about the rich guy down the street? He needs Jesus just as much as as the guy on the street does. We're worried about. Yeah. I'm worried about harvesting souls, you know. And it's it, God doesn't see the rich and poor when it comes to the soul. He just sees somebody who's lost. I mean, he's he's literally the scripture says he's no respecter of persons. First of all, right. why didn't we start with this conversation? Second of all, the, <laughs> the 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 you know he's no respecter of persons, and so the the whole nature of the leftist gospel whether it's coming through a church or through AOC or through Buttigieg or whoever is, is really that we have to become respecter of persons based <laughs> upon, you know, these, these demographics and social status. And it's the very opposite of the thing, you know, God is, I want to love everybody regardless of where they're at. And, and, you know, if we can help people, great. But I think that, um, you know, we have to make sure that we're not losing the gospel, you know, for the sake of just creating social programs. Yeah. I get that. I, I think, yeah, and we've and Chris and I have had a lot of discussions about this because I, I I do think I'm going to say this. I think that the right, and this is stereotypical, and and a lot of Christians fall into this category. It's always about hard work, hard work, dedication, dedication. You got to build it. You got to do it yourself. You got to do it yourself. And then the left is all like, we got to provide. We got to help people. And I actually think both perspectives, when they're taken to their extreme, are wrong. Um, and I think there's a middle ground somewhere. I think the middle ground is more towards the hard work. But I do think there are people who work for jobs who, you know, have tried everything. And, you know, it's really easy to say, well, just go do this and you'll be fine. Well, there are people who aren't fine doing those things. I mean, there are people who are trying their hardest. But but to kind of just I wanted to add one thing about the the poor piece. I agree with you, Chris. I also do think, though, that part of that love God, love others, when you love others, it points people toward God. And when somebody is in a desperate, this is just my my experience with people who are poor and we've all had our experiences, is that I think there is something special about Christians going out of their way to serve those people and that it is that act that often helps point people toward the gospel. Yep. That's a tougher thing with wealthy people. It is. Um, and we know what Jesus says about wealth. Right. right? So. And, and anyway. you know, maybe to, uh, I guess, to, you know, um, come alongside that and, and you know, agree in some areas and challenge some others, the, um, you know, a lot of my early time in ministry was, was doing street stuff. You know, it was, I'm about 90 miles from Chicago, so I'd jump on the train and take a, a backpack full of sandwiches and Bibles, and I'd go around, and I was going there so frequently, I knew, you know, all the homeless guys on all the corners, I knew the guys playing drums on the buckets, and this guy preaching at the corner, and this guy, you know, these guys waiting to score over here. And I would, I just build a relationship with these guys. And I did a lot of work in that area and I loved it. I mean, I learned, you know, I feel like I learned even more about ministry for me in those days, probably more than I even helped anybody. You know, I think I had some um, moments, but it was, it was a very developmental time for me. Our ministry continues over the years. You know, we've done all sorts of things from outreaches, et cetera. 
But um, to put that in perspective, we have people that will come into our church, and we're in a suburban area, but we'll get people, you know, from downtown South Bend and some other places that will come in and stop by and say, you know, hey, do you guys, you know, can you give me some cash? And, you know, it's whether it's their car broke down or they need this, they need groceries or, you know, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, we have we have kind of different protocols we put in place. But if somebody start asks, you know, for, you know, something beyond food and kind of basic needs, what we say is we'll say, hey, we, we would be happy to help you. Um, can you go home? Let's set up a time for tomorrow. And I always tell them, can you bring all your bills? And what we want to do is we're going to help you. So there's an attachment of help associated with this. But we want to see where you're at. And we're going to work with you. We're going to get you some immediate help there. And then we're going to help create a plan for you. You know, I've I've had one person in 20 years of ministry with hundreds of people that I've offered that to ever come back and show up for an appointment to go through their bills. And to me, like that's the person, first of all, that I want to help because they're willing to humble themselves and like and and look at it. And, you know, I'm sure there's there, there, there's people that probably have way more expertise in this area than I do. I don't want to you know boast that I'm the, the end all be all of of, you know, ministry in that regard. But to me, that says something. And I think it it, it you know, I want to make sure that the time that I'm putting in is fruit that's going to last and not just get stolen away. Uh, if it's taking care of somebody's food and basic survival sort of stuff, man, I'm going to be there every single time. Right. But I think that, you know, we have to, you know, as believers, it's the parable to see. We have to see what that soil is like and are the seeds that I'm planting, are they going to produce a harvest? Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I'm glad you made that distinction about the, the food stuff. When it comes to the food, listen, I'll get you, if you're out of food, we're getting yeah. you food, and especially when it comes to kids. Like we do a lunch program. Yeah, we've been doing. Yeah, hundred percent. We're in a small community. We do a lunch. Pro- our church does a lunch program. We started. This will be our seventh summer doing it, and the the school advertises like they send stuff home with the kids. And in six summers, this will be our seventh. In the first six summers, we've done twelve thousand lunches, and this in a small wow. community. But that because that's what we and that believe. That was just in. the lunches you ate. That's just right? the ones I ate. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it's worth it though. But so we're on, and I, I do, and I believe in helping the poor, but I think that, I think we do miss out. And I, and I, Billy, I take your point and I understand it, but I think we miss out when we, you're right. That it's harder to make a physical impact for somebody who's a wealthier and the physical impacts often are the ones that easily lead to then spiritual impacts because there's such a Uh, marked need there. Right. But let me tell you about a frustrating conversation I had with youth pastors because I'm not, I'm not a youth pastor. We don't have a youth pastor employed. I'm in, I'm in charge of youth ministry at our church, but I'm not a youth pastor. We have a, a I kind of lead the senior high stuff. We have a lady who helps lead the junior high stuff. And we've got a team of, again, small community, small church. We've got eight adults who are regular youth workers. And that's a, that's a big deal for us. So youth ministry is a huge thing. And I had the same problem when we lived on the, on the East Coast. And I'm sure every church has this, has, can have this issue. But I'm at this, this district event talking to the other youth pastors and we're talking about ministry and we're just kind of a get together because all the other students are at different workshops and the youth pastors came together, youth leaders came together. And I'm asking them questions. Said, you guys are getting all of, you guys are getting the cool kids at youth, youth events, right? You're getting the jocks. You're getting the football players and the basketball players. You're getting the kids who come from good homes. You got, I said, we have no church kids. Like we don't have them. Like if we have, we'll have 30 kids on a Wednesday, we'll have 30 kids on a Wednesday night, right? On a Wednesday night Bible study, 30 of them. Two of them go to our church semi-regularly. I mean, this was, this was a few years ago. And I said, I, d- I, I did a, I did a uh, 
a Bible study. We were doing a, it's just before Easter. It's just before Good Friday. It's a Wednesday before Good Friday. And I'm talking about Good Friday. And they're like, what's Good Friday? They didn't know. And I said, how many of you know what Good Friday and Easter? They said, Raise your hands. And you know how many out of 30, how many of them knew? Four. Knew it. Oh. So I'm, we're dealing with unchurched people, but I'm saying I can reach, you guys have got these church kids in your, in your, in your church. They're come from good families. We don't have that. I said of, of my 30 kids on a Wednesday night, 20 of them are from the trailer park or trailer park kind of situation. They're from poor homes. I can, I can get the down and outs. I can't get the cool kids. And they're all like, oh man, I wish I had your problem because that's what Jesus asked us to do is just, is to help the poor. I'm like, they're just as lost. I yeah, want, they're I just, would, I mean, it, it doesn't kids. matter if they're coming from a suburban home. And, I you know, the, I think that... Yeah. It drives me crazy. It, I mean, there, there's, the, there's this story in the Old Testament where um, uh, the, the prophet comes to the woman who her and her uh, son are basically dying. And, you know, the Lord led them to her. And so he says, hey, what's going on? Well, I'm just getting ready to make my last meal. And uh, then my son and I are going to go die. And, you know, what he does is he does the thing that, I mean, he would be ridiculed for today if a pastor did this. But he says, why don't you make something for me first? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, to think about like, I mean, that's such a different paradigm. But that's an example we see in Scripture that actually was the thing that opened up the door for the miraculous in her life right. and for God to do something there. And so I, I, you know, really try to approach these situations with what I would call like a spirit prescribed methodology there's times to buy somebody a meal. There's times to say no. There's times to say, hey, if you want a meal, bring this tomorrow and I'll, I'll you know, connect with you. I mean, I think that we can, you know, you have to just, that's where listening to the spirit comes in and really being able to discern what does this person really need, you know, beyond maybe even what they're asking for. And that's where, you know, the, the, the kind of beauty of it happens. Right. Well, and on the flip side, I mean, on the flip side, you go to go to a college campus. The people who need God, some of the people who need God the most, are professors on college campuses. Yeah. I mean, like most educated people, right? Who allegedly who um, don't really understand the basics of of life, and it's the same with the student body. So, to your, I actually, I mean, I agree with your points. I think. I think we should be doing all of it, and there really need to be more ministries. Christians love to run away from Hollywood media and universities, which are the three areas that need the gospel the most, three of the areas that need it the most, right? So it's so easy to run away, but, you know, and it's funny because I teach I teach a class at a college, and right now we're obviously not physically there, but my classroom was above the Bible study group, right? So, and they, and it's kind of now, if I weren't a Christian, I'd be super annoyed because it's so loud. Like I can't even <laughs> teach my class. Right. So they're like singing praise and worship. It's great. I mean, it sounds like there's a ton of people in the room and I teach till nine. It starts about eight o'clock. So, and of course the students are like, Oh, it's the Christians again, you know, Oh, the Christians are meeting. Um, but the student body is clueless. Most of them I've had like one Christian a semester out of 20, let's say, and usually <laughs> they're not solid. So again, even the student body, I feel like you guys raise a good point about that, you know. So I see, I see all sides of it. We should be there preaching the gospel, right? I mean, and I mean, all those. It's, yeah, it's, it's who in, who's in front of you, you know. I, I thought there was going to be a lot more hatred towards AOC that that arose out of us, but it, it, I just of, can't muster it anymore. She's a lunatic. Well, she I mean, is obnoxious. Listen, she's. I should. I should be kind. Why? She's. I mean, yes. crazy. Not a lunatic. I'll just say the word crazy. She. Listen. She's entitled to her views. Her views are very extreme. The problem is that all these people we're talking about, especially young people, are buying into it because we've. I saw a quote the other day. I don't know if it was Jesse Kelly. I don't know who it was, but they were just like, only in America do we teach people 
young people to hate the country from which they came. It's it's insanity. Right. You know, it's yeah. like, it's yeah. just complete insanity. And I think that not that we have been perfect. America has not been perfect. We made tons of mistakes. Right. We're human beings. We're run by human beings. But the way that we are educating people is creating little AOCs everywhere. There's not there's there isn't a country. I don't think there's a country on the planet that instructs their kids, their students to hate the country they live in, except us. That's it. It's yeah, a problem. It's it's a big I mean, problem, it's, and it's it going to be even a yeah. bigger problem here in the very near future. So, um, wow, yeah. So, well, I mean, I mean you know, yeah. I guess millennials are getting older, are starting to have, are having kids, are you know, and when when life happens, when you get married, you know, when you move forward, even when you just get older in general, whether you get married or not, you you experience real life, and yeah. that does change the dynamic a little bit. Yep, it sure can. All right, so we, we've talked about several important things. Now, I'm going to let you guys pick where we go next, right? Billy wanted to talk about some, um, let's say, consistent witness things uh -huh. <laughs> that I think was worth discussing. Um, oh, we yeah. have we have that clip from the president this afternoon during his press conferences after his COVID. His, Just play uh, it. Just play because I want to watch Lucas Cringe. Play it. I, I actually missed it, so this will be the first time I've okay. heard it. So it's about... I, I've got to open the right tab here. It is about it's just just a hair over a minute long. Okay, and this is the this uh, is the COVID this is the COVID nineteen yes the COVID nineteen COVID nineteen uh, press conference from today. <laughs> and it is he's up there and he's got he's got uh oh I can't remember who the guy next to him is but there's there's Vice President Pence and Trump and somebody else I I can't mine mine is. Daffy Duck. Uh, I mean, who? Yeah. I don't know. Like, so I was on another presidential call today, by the way. Oh, just yeah. After that, so. we, we need to hear this too. Uh, so he's on. So he's doing his regular White House cor coronavirus task force briefing, right? And Doctor Bricks is Burks. Burks is sitting down there next to him, and this, this is what he goes into. He's talking about it how. Is how light can maybe kill the virus and disinfectants and things. So pay attention because it's not just simply light and disinfectant. It's what we do with the light and disinfectant. Uh, a question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, tremendous. whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said, that has him a check, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right folks who could. Right, and Why then not? I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or? Almost a cleaning because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of lungs. So it'd be in interesting to check that. So that you're going to have to use medical doctors with. But it sounds it sounds interesting to me. So we'll see. But the whole concept of the light, the way it kills it in one minute, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. Uh, Steve, please. So I am I am at a loss. It's I'm at a, it I'm sounds at a interesting. Loss. Of course, it sounds interesting like to you because just, you live at it. You are a cartoon character. Just, okay, I'm gonna spit, I'm gonna come to Trump's just, defense here. He's just spitballing. Please. Spit okay, ball. so here's my here's my attempt. Okay, first of all, so he's obviously had some statements before in the past that are 
all Every over day. the place, and that's that's quite a bit. <laughs> but he's also had some statements before that has he said stuff like when you you know when you like he would come out and say Ford's doing this. And then their news story the next like, day is like, not Ford's new. not doing this. Yes, they're not. And then like a day later, they're like, oh, yeah, we are. You know, and then they come out and they they basically are doing it. So he's he's kind of pushed some things to happen with companies. He got he got in trouble for the same thing about talking about disinfecting the masks. And he said, hey, there's got to be a way to disinfect all these all right. these N95 masks. And everybody's like, no, you can't do that. And and then like three days later, they're like, oh, we just invented a way to, to disinfect these masks. Right. So is there a way for light to disinfect the body from the inside? I have no idea. How about a Lysol injection? Yeah, but he's what about that? What about, about some Windex injection? He's talking Do you about think maybe like, can you be a Windex junkie? Injecting I can't defend all this. And getting it down into somebody, the lungs. Either he's up really late Googling some stuff and it's found a very weird corner bing, of the bing, internet. Bing, 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 that's it. he's got somebody else like feeding him some no. crazy ideas Here's what happens lucas he stands up and he's like oh a daisy oh i like peanut butter oh broccoli rob is my favorite meal and he just says whatever comes into his mouth i wonder if aliens could come down and abduct me and like make me a superhero so i could come back and fight covid19 so, so he, like but, but he one, just says crazy things he does and he and a lot of times what i think happens is he has heard something like this Right. Yes. And then yeah. he goes, well, and, and then this the disinfectant. Yeah, Remember, you guys look into that. And it sounds really interesting. Like, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And Doctor Burks is just sitting there next to the stage because she's in a chair off to the off to his right. And he's. I'm trying to see her. if anybody's supporting oh, him on. Uh, look on a uh, little Google Mitch search here see on see what if anybody's what saying Bill Mitchell is saying. I mean, listen, I understand. Here's the thing. I'm always with him while he's talking. And then he says something like windmills cause cancer. And I'm like, you've lost me. Like now I can't. You've left me with no the light. I could almost be like, you know what? I get it. There are light treatments. People take them for behavior treatments. Right. But now you're talking about somehow inject it. It's called a vaccine. If that's the word you're looking for, something that will come in and stop something you a disinfectant. I want to just repeat the word. A disinfectant. So, look, I mean, I don't he said crazy stuff. I can't defend everything Trump has said, obviously, by far. And I don't and I don't feel I need to. OK, um, but, <laughs> but the if I mean, I, there's not enough information for me. Does yeah. he have some new study that's I, come out or some new treat? I mean, if you would have I mean, talked about people treating stuff with, you know, ultrasounds in the past, or I'm going to send sound waves inside of the body and it's going to do this and this. You guys would have been like, oh, you can't send a sound wave no. inside of the body. Not I mean, he said. I guess my I think he's conducting the same studies to find this information that he did when I sat across from him in Trump Tower. And he talked to me about Obama's birth certificate repeatedly. And he asked me if I thought the birth certificate was fraudulent. And I mean, these are things. Listen, he's been saying crazy things for decades. OK, um, now. Yes. And and having been on the receiving end of that crazy and having to sit there and smile and pretend it was normal. I can tell you, I, I feel like. Listen, do I think everything he says is crazy? No, but he says at least three crazy things a day, minimum. I'm okay with fight, it. Fight me. Yeah, I, listen, we're okay with it because the alternative is like yeah. the baby body parts people. So, or AO, yeah, AOC <laughs> saying everybody should stay home for the rest of their lives and I mean, never work again. I wish she would stay home. Right. Build an Ikea chair. Go for it. Drink some <laughs> wine. Film a periscope. <laughs> I don't know. 
Apparently, I mean, Pelosi can send her some ice cream through the mail. Maybe. So that, Pelosi. That I'm actually feeling bad for her in that cardigan that she wore. Oh, All right, what else we still got, Chris? All right, so we had there. It's almost okay, so Billy's bedtime. It is. He was. He needs to go home. He said. All right, so we have the. Um, oh, okay, so the witness. We got two two semi serious things here. So, the witness thing you talked about, Billy, with a certain blonde preacher lady. Um, I'm not naming names. Today. I just said blonde preacher. I gotta thing. defend everybody on this show, don't I? Just, I? Is this person a friend of? Have you checked to see if Lucas is friends with this? Blonde preacher lady. I ranted. I texted Lucas and ranted about this person. Okay. Oh no, I week. know who you're talking about. I'm. I'm not. I'm. I'm on the same page with you on this one. Okay. Good. You're gonna go on Paula White. Don't worry. We'll talk about yeah. Paula a different day. But I like Paula. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, let me. Wait. 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 <laughs> I just. Okay. I. I want to. In all. In all seriousness, I want to hear your take. I'm not gonna offer my take on Paula White. I don't know Paula White. You apparently you have. A, what is your take on Paula White? I like her. I mean, look, I like I, personally or theologically or all, what do you, what are you I'm your... pretty picky theologically, but I think that, you know, my view of of theology is basically that, you know, if you see a, a buoy floating in the ocean and it's it's got a chain coming down, it's hooked to the bedrock and it's going to do kind of this spinning a circle sort of concept. And so as long as you're attached to the bedrock at some level, then we might be in a little bit different place, but as long as we're still connected, and that, and to me, that bedrock is the word. You know, it's the person of Christ. Everything else, and I think that she is, you know, beyond connected. You know, from that standpoint, it, does she have some sound bites out there? I'm sure I have some sound bites out there. If people took my this show just today, they would create something that I like hate poor people and don't want to help anybody. You know, I mean, so you can you and can they would find be those things. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, you know, it's. I mean, so you can always find those sound bites. I she was on the call today with the White House, um, and she was actually the one who ended it. Um, and I think she's doing a great job. I think she's brought people together. I think she, the, the, I like a lot of the pastors that she's brought around Trump um, that are there. And to me, it says something that she's known Trump for as long as she has, and there's still there's still respect and you know, kind of allowing her to do her thing. Um, is she the person that I would go to to listen for all my doctrine and theology? I, honestly, I've probably not even heard enough of her stuff to say that. Uh, I would have other, you know, kind of go-tos for it. But I'm not, you know, I'm not anti by any means. And I, I've interviewed her husband before. He was wonderful. So I would assume I a, that she was great as well. Do you remember my three-hour lunch with her and her husband, Chris? Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a three-hour lunch with them. And it was supposed to be like a half an hour, and it was set up by somebody. And I went to the city and met with them. It was really interesting. She's very kind. They, you know, were very nice. Um, you know, and I, I pressed her hard on a lot of the critiques that she gets. You know, I pressed her hard on, you know, like if somebody, if you go to Africa, someone has AIDS and they're dying, and you're saying to them, you know, you just need to believe more, and you won't have AIDS anymore. You know, so we kind of got into all that, and she gave some really interesting responses, much like Joel Osteen has when I've presented those critiques right. to him, and he's responded. Um, so I won't really weigh in on Paula White. I think I think it is I think it gets problematic with a lot of television preachers when they start if you give your gift, you know, those blessings are gonna come to you. Like when you start when you start there, going there, that yeah, route. There's a misunderstanding, <laughs> I think, with um the the financial thing and the tithe and everything else. And um, but I I understand also where they're coming from. And I think that, you know, you, you mentioned the or I mentioned that that story of uh is it Elijah or Elisha? 
that comes to the, you know, to the, the, the woman, you know, and he asked her, Hey, give me something here. And then I'm like, I mean, there's, there's some biblical concepts that they're pulling from. I think they get easily extrapolated at times and there's a different way to present that. I prefer Paul's method of don't give out of obligation or coercion and you know, that it's each person should decide in their heart. And, but now everybody's a TV preacher. Uh, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of an issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, yeah, I'm not going to go. I haven't watched enough of her. Th- I've seen some things I don't agree with and, you know, but I, I do think I do think it's fascinating that Donald Trump, who is a, who has loved money and success and fame, you know, for a long time. That's just something he's been open about. Right. Would align with somebody who's critiqued for theology on money and success and fame, whether or not those critiques are relevant. It's an interesting friendship. Now, having said that, I she has also shared stories. When I interviewed her, she said some things about Trump that I thought were really actually impressive about him, and they're things that people don't normally see, right? And I actually experienced yeah. something with Trump that you wouldn't normally see that I would give him credit for, which was giving money ten thousand dollars to Saeed Abedini's, you know, wife when he was imprisoned in Iran, and telling me that and asking me not to report on it. That's not something you would expect, right? You would expect that he'd be like, I gave $10,000 and it was tremendous and I'm awesome. He didn't do that. He actually did. He did the right thing, which is don't publicize this. And it didn't come out until Saeed told people. So there are some really interesting things about about them. So I'm not going to critique her. I'll leave it at that. All right. <clears throat> so that wasn't even the blonde preacher lady. Yeah, we, we got we got we, we talked about the wrong blonde. So, Billy. Why don't you lead this discussion? Because I think I think that you and I and Lucas are very much on very uh, similar footing and beliefs here. But I would like, I think it's a discussion worth having. So, you know, okay, I'm pulling the tweet up from five days ago that Beth Moore tweeted at back at me. <clears throat> I am exhausted from watching people. And this is where I've been kind of hard on Trump today, but this is where I kind of lose it a little bit. The the people in the Christian world who are not wrong, they are absolutely correct about Christian witness and abandoning principles and embracing Trump and the dangers of that, of not finding that middle ground where you say, listen, I don't I'm not walking around saying that Trump is some holy rolling Christian. I'm not pretending that everything he says and does is OK. You even said, Lucas, I can't defend all of these things. I can't. You know, but when we align ourselves so heavily and there are people doing this in the evangelical world, it's a problem. So I get that argument. But on the flip side, so you've got the people, I'm not going to name them, who are obsessed with Trump. He has kind of become an idol in some senses, and they've abandoned all principle. They went after Bill Clinton endlessly, but they're okay with paying, allegedly paying porn stars. They went after, they, and they told us how to live for decades, right? right? And suddenly, don't worry about how Trump is living. Leave him alone. You know, he's you know, our golden calf. Now, that's a problem. But on the flip side, the people who can never orange, compliment Trump, orange who calf. can't stop complaining. Orange, orange calf, not golden calf. Orange calf. There you go. <laughs> who can? I know I'm like going on a diatribe here, but who can never compliment? Who are always so grieved and oh, it's so terrible how the evangelicals have abandoned us and hurt us. Okay, I get it. It's a problem, but they don't shut up about it. Yeah. And what is? Here's the problem. It's fine to go on about that, but if you're going to be somebody who's on Twitter and you're grieved and you're so upset, and can you believe these even my fellow evangelicals are supporting Trump? Why is it that you never speak up? about the Jen hat makers. Okay. I'll name some names here or the other people who have bad theology or some of us think they have bad, or they they're wrong on very key scriptural issues. 
Um, and you never, you're not grieved by that. And not only are you not grieved by it, you hang out with them. You sometimes praise them. You sometimes give comments that are complimentary to them. If but you're going to be, are they, complimentary, shut up. are they complimentary of the person's theology or of the person themselves? Of the person themselves, okay. even because I think it's a problem that you can do that, but you can never do it for Trump. Here's so it's here, a problem because you're not being consistent. You need to here, be consistently. Anyway, here's the challenge, on. though, because like, and I, I mean, I've experienced this, and and you know, with even people <laughs> we've talked about today, is as you start meeting more and more people, you know, I'm not, I'm not a journalist. You know, I'm not there to interview, you know, somebody and get the dirt out on them or anything else. You know, I, I don't know always what I am. It probably depends on the day, but I, I, I don't think I'm a journalist. And so as I'm meeting people, I'm building relationships. I'm looking for ways to impact and influence influencers. And so as you get to know somebody, it becomes harder to speak out against them because you might have a relationship with them that's different behind a closed door than what that public thing is. And so you don't want to ruin that opportunity to have that connection or whether and you know there's some people that I think are leveraging the White House you know within Christian circles and there's some people that really believe in it uh, and and or you know believe in what he's doing and it becomes whether you're talking about Hollywood or DC as you start building those relationships it does become challenging when these start becoming public conversations and you're asked to like weigh in on what do you think about Paula White and I'm going like I don't really want to say anything because I might see her in two months at a dinner you know and so um, that, that becomes on a much more amplified level, the more people, you know, that's different. And I, cause I'm rambling and I want to, I want to drive this home because it's, it's what I, I want to read you what Beth Moore I was said say, read, the, read the I tweet. Think I helpful. think that, I think that gets us focused. Okay. So I basically said to her, you know, what if there's something else going on? I agree that power is an issue. You know, I was trying to basically say, what if Trump is being used by God? We don't know. I'm not saying he is. I think God, you, I think God allows any, and there you go, that word allow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no. He allows an, well, any leader now. to come in. That's right. Fine. But, we might as well but let me read what Beth, let me read what Beth said. We're done. Okay. Sorry. She said, I will say again and again, Billy, that I expected Trump to be Trump. I did not expect us to be us. My despair from the beginning was not about a candidate. It was about evangelical witness, about the trading off of our prophetic voice for a seat at the table with the powerful. So and that's take, fine. Okay, and I'm so not— Stop right ahead. there just for a second. And taken in a vacuum, <clears throat> right, that statement by itself is not a, pro a statement I have any issue with. I agree. My issue, though— is that, and I'm not going to go after Beth. I haven't read all of Beth's tweets. I don't know everything she's said or done. All I see, though, is these people going after one side and ignoring the progressive bad theology that is also a danger to their witness, particularly, and I get your point, Lucas, um, about not wanting to speak out about people, but but if you're really that concerned about witness, and we should be, then you should be concerned about bad theology that you might be promoting with the ways in which you are promoting or talking about people who have bad progressive theology. It needs to be consistent. That's my argument. And, and, and that's what frustrates you know, me. And I don't know Beth. And uh, I think I've been around her, you know, at a distance, you know, social. We've social distance, at least, you know, more than six feet, though. Um, and but, man, I, I don't I, I think that there's a lot of theology that she has that's super jumbled. And so. You know, she's been, I mean, one of my big, you know, we talked about this God allowing, God is in control sort of language. You know, I think she's been a real proponent for 
some some very narrow theology. She's got a huge following. Obviously, a lot of people have gone through. A lot of ladies, especially, have gone through Bible studies. Uh, you know, she's she's really flip flopped on major cultural issues like LGBT, everything else. And so, for her to like come out all of a sudden that she is like the spokesperson for Christianity, you know, when she has has I think a a um, a little bit peppered track record on actually dealing with cultural issues to me is a pro- something I have a problem with. So, and to use the word prophetic, I don't know as though, I mean, Beth doesn't have a charismatic bone in her body, you know, when it comes to anything. So like for her to all of a sudden try to own the word prophetic voice, you know, to me sounds just very contrived. Well, so you're kind of making my point for me too, because that's the point. It's like, if you're going to be outraged by this, you need to be consistent. And when I, of course I posed that back and she didn't, she probably didn't see it, but she was silent about it. And it annoys me because progressive Christians love to ignore the violations of scripture that are central. I mean, these are central issues that we're outraged about Trump's bad behavior and the fact that some people support him vocally, but we're not outraged by the things that people are saying over here who we're friends with. That's not okay. So let me, let you me have to be consistent. Let me, ask you though so where has she again and like as you said you haven't read everything she's done i've done a few beth moore studies and really liked them and i don't agree with everything that's said but i i like them and i think and my wife is a huge beth moore fan which is fine by me i mean it's she learned has learned a lot through there that said i remember when this really first started came kind up with you and me billy when we were talking about this was when rachel held evans passed right you're gonna bring it up and and yeah. Beth was Beth was started praising, with Kenny Rogers and now we're Rachel. But Beth, but Beth was praising her. But I don't remember Beth praising Rachel's theology. I just remember her praising Rachel as someone who is a Christian, according to Beth, and but was a progressive Christian, and that Beth was saying nice things about somebody who had passed. And that's kind of where this discussion between you and me, at least, got its start. So what? What has Beth done or not done that you'd like to see her not doing or doing, right? I mean, it's one thing if she's if she's going out and saying that Rachel Held Evans or any other progressive minister's theology is spot on and we should be listening to them, that'd be a, that would be an outrage. But if you're saying nice things about people you're friends with, listen, I have I have liberal friends, I have conservative gay friends who who I'm going to say nice things about even though I disagree with things that they believe. So what what where is so where, this is why i twisted this, up well this is why i wouldn't necessarily go after Beth, and this is why i'm being careful about going after beth right i'm going i don't ever see her and i could be missing it she doesn't give the same level of attention to the progressive issues as she does the conservative issues with trump okay so that's kind of where my issue but i don't you know i'm trying to avoid going into the rachel held evans thing rachel and i would go back and forth and you know what happened to her was so sad and terrible situation but you know i think when you oh i'm trying to be careful here when you say something like and she said very nice things about rachel and that's fine i don't want to overread into her comments but when you're putting a statement out and saying you know and I have it in front of me, but also I think that part of it, part of the reason that Rachel was so loved by people on both sides, in an era of gross hypocrisy, she was alarmingly honest. Well, there are a lot of people who would argue that the theology was not honest and that it did a lot of damage to people. And so I just don't see her giving the same grace. And I'm fine with the comments, I guess, there, if you're gonna extend those same things to other people, right? I, I took issue with some of the wording there. That was just personally yeah. that I had shared with you at the time. 
Um, and I've been calling people out when I see them praising somebody and I know that they're a solid Christian, I reach out to them privately and I say, do you realize that when you say, it's not just about saying nice things, but there are a lot of young people watching some of this. And when you're sending those signals like, hey, this person might be somebody's book, you might want to pick their book up, right? Yeah. I mean, you're basically saying in a sense, go and check out what they've done when you start praising them. So I have lots of friends who are different from me. I'm not going out praising their books or not that she did that there or encouraging people that they were alarmingly honest and that maybe they should go and check their stuff out. So it maybe I'm wrong. It rubbed me the wrong way at the time. Well, I mean, it's to Lucas's point. When you have friends in different situations, you say things because you have a friendship, and especially in a sensitive situation around the Rachel thing is, I'm not going to, you know, you don't speak ill of the dead or the dying. And of course. I'm going to tell, no, tell, you, tell you nice things <clears throat> because I, I, and I, I have friends I could say the same thing about that I disagree with, like she, the, who's relentlessly honest. Yeah. It, they're relentlessly honest. They don't know Jesus, and they're a douche canoe. But they're well, my and friend, that was and not, I love and them. By the way, Rachel loved—I believe she loved Jesus. I yeah. believe—I I just had and differences. And I think Beth does, too. You know, I think that—I yeah, mean, obviously, course. like, I mean, yeah. Beth's done wonderful things, and I think that it's 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 tough because, you know, when—my I, I, my frustration with her is just, you know, there's a— She's been kind of this theological pinball, you know, like uh, ping pong ball. She's mm -hmm. just like bounced around all over um, and and I think been very hard to pin down. But I feel like that wherever she ends up, she's always, you know, kind of throwing these accusations against other people. And she had that really, you know, uh, um, you know, she had a lot of people stand up for her when she you know, wrote the letter about being a female teacher and had all these other guys kind of come in, you know, I think Piper supported her and some others, you know, in this. And, but, you know, there's just some, some, some bizarre stuff that's happened here in the last couple of years with her where she seems to be going more and more progressive. And, um, you know, I'd rather her, uh, you know, just, I, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd like to see some more consistency, I think is all. Yeah. I and, and listen, I want to clarify the Rachel Evans thing, held Evans thing, because it's not the strongest example at the time I was writing very nice things about Rachel, too, sure. you know, um, at the time. And I probably wouldn't have shared it had you not brought it up. So thanks for pigeonholing me, Chris. Um, <laughs> but I want to be alarmingly honest. And, you know, I it was just I have a I, my concern is that there are a lot of Christian leaders right now who send people, you know, inadvertently to these people who have theology that I don't deem great theology. Right. And that, to me, is a huge concern. And, and, and I recently had somebody say back to right. me. And there's the point. That's my issue. Right. And that's that's my issue. I and, think yeah. Now to be fair, okay, I think she should think she and anybody else, I would expect the same from Lucas. I don't want him pointing people <laughs> to have who have bad theology unless he's talking to somebody like me is like, listen, you're grounded. You should read what this guy's writing because, you know, you and I have had Rob Bell discussions, right, Billy? I mean, we've had those discussions. Yes. And I would encourage someone if 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 Lucas somehow didn't know who Rob Bell was, I'd say, Lucas, read Rob Bell. Read what he's writing, right? I know that I don't agree with Rob Bell, but I would. But for the average person, I'm not going to probably recommend that, right? I'm yeah. going to recommend not, something more and I'm grounded. I'm not saying that Beth did anything wrong. I don't, I don't want to make this all about Beth. Right. I have told you personally, my feeling is that she's very, is that she has chosen this line, and I don't feel like I'm seeing a consistent line. Yeah. Whenever you start bringing up witness, you better be consistent. And I always try to be. I try to call it the people with bad theology, and I'm wrong. I mean, I, I'm not perfect, 
but I try to call out the Trump stuff, the pro and the anti. And so right. I don't see that consistency with but some of these people. But her focus is, and maybe too much so, I don't know, is on accountability to the people that she has the power to hold accountable. It's not her job to hold a progressive accountable unless unless they're going to have a discussion about it. But the people who tend to fall in line with her, just like, listen, I go to the Nazarene church here, right? If I've got, if I've got Nazarenes in our church who start saying other things and doing other things, I'm going to say, that doesn't really fall in line with the things that we say we believe. So it, I've got, to I have me, to hold just, them accountable within that did, particular family. Did you guys see the the story on the, the guy that wrote the hymn for the 91% or whatever it was? Did you see that a few months back? Yeah. That was kind of like a worship song, basically, against Ridiculous. those that voted for Trump. You know, so that guy, that guy's in my town. So he's like 10 minutes away from me. And so I got, I did an interview with Faith Wire when that happened and everything else. And, you know, it, it to, to me, some of these comments just reek of that. It just, it just feels like a form of, of Christian elitism. You know, um, I, I bet, I mean, we see Paul go meet with, with kings and leaders of nations and, and these things that I don't, I don't need, you know, if Trump's in my church and he's saying, Lucas, you're my pastor, I'm going to have a different relationship with him than if he's, you know, running the country. And right mm -hmm. now he's running the country, so he's got my support. And it took me about, you know, one term before I started praying for Obama because I was so frustrated with everything. And I still was frustrated while he was in office. But I was really, I was really, you know, I felt sincere repentance during the, his second term to go, look, it doesn't matter what my view is of some of his things. I want to pray for him as a person. Yeah. And and there's just sometimes this kind of this elitism comes out, I think, in the body of Christ where, you know, we we just in our trying to rebuke, we, you know, we kind of lose that love component. And that's something I just wish, yeah. you know, we could see more of. That I, that I agree with. Totally. Well, and and I want to be fair, too. You know, I mean, part of it is that, you know, you you were looking at social, right? Like Jen Hatmaker saying in 2018, Beth Moore is, you know, a mentor for an entire generation. She said, I wish you knew how deeply and profoundly she's loved me these last two years. You would weep with joy. She's the dearest sister. You know, the perception is that there's a relationship there, which is fine. I have relationships with lots of people I disagree with. I think when that's out there, though, it does look to the rest of us, and maybe this is judgmental and wrong, like, wow, you're holding one side accountable, but you're not really talking to the other people, at least vocally. And listen, these are these are fellow Christians, so yeah. should we be calling them out constantly? And she's fine. She's vague enough about it. Yeah. Um, I just it's, there's something about it, and I like Beth Moore that strikes me as kind of obnoxious, if I'm being honest, and and, and arguably borderline disingenuous because I, it's not consistent. Right, the lack of consistency. Anyway. Yeah, that's fine. So, All right. Well, Billy's about to turn into a pumpkin. It's it's past his bedtime. All right, I got I got John Eleven in in. 45 seconds. Okay, so so All right. give give a recap quickly about John 11 to remind people. And before you do that, you mentioned to me, we, we were on I don't know, Facebook or Twitter today, and you mentioned your book that you hadn't sent it to me. I just figured I hadn't received it. I'm like, it's because I'm going to have to pay full retail like I do with other famous authors I'm friends with. No, you're getting a free copy. I got it. I grabbed it. It's on the. It's on in hand right here. So it's I was, coming your way. In fact, so I had, I would, had gone to Amazon early this week just thought you know what i should just order lucas's book and then i didn't get around to it. i started i thought i should read reviews of his book and so i found the best review of your book on here <laughs> oh my god it's my favorite it's my favorite review this is a terrible heretical load of nonsense <laughs> <laughs> 
It, uh, let's see. It denies the very nature of Christ. The author ignores large swaths of clear scripture and twists others to his own designs. He might as well go tempt Jesus in the wilderness. <laughs> I just, I found so much joy in that. But what I love really, that. But what really brought me joy is that, see, on Amazon, when somebody does a review of a book, they can, and it's a verified purchase, it says, you can respond to these to, ah. to reviews. And I noticed that someone named Matthew, ah, which is okay. probably short, Lucas's, you know, gnome to cyber. It says, hey, moron, why don't you give some ex examples rather than just make large swooping accusations with no merit? Oh, that's right. You have none, idiot. So just point counterpoint there. <laughs> wow, I'm raising up some really great disciples and some good haters here. So that's uh, just, that's nice. I like such, it. Brought me such joy to read that. That said, there were very few bad reviews of your book. I, I was, appreciate I was you looking, bringing was, out the worst one. I was looking for the worst one just for the sake of humor because why would I want to praise You're you? You're a terrible person. And for the record, like the whole ha second half of the book is about Jesus and like the central, <laughs> like, central fact of like him <laughs> being like the core of the gospel. So apparently that guy only got through the first sentence right and so um, to, to be fair to, to be fair to miles it's got quite a few reviews and 83 percent are five star reviews so that's good all right it's go. better than the last hotel i stayed in awesome <laughs> <laughs> all right so anyway okay. go ahead so john 11 remind people of okay it. so w the setup here from last week is that um basically we're talking about this idea of like does god allow bad things to happen and it, and I brought up, which I argue in Good God, that that God allowed the opportunity for man to have a choice at the fall, but he's not individually. I hate the phrase when God, you know, God is in control and God is supreme. He's superb. He's above all. But I don't I believe that what's implied when people say God is in control, that he's controlling things. And I believe that God is in control of a system that he has chosen to allow to be able to operate freely for a time until he returns and kind of calls all the chips due. He engages with it. He interacts with it based upon, you know, the, the receptivity of man's heart and, you know, through prayer and miracles and all these sorts of things. But I don't believe he's up there kind of puppet mastering, you know, and pulling strings and everything. So you had brought up Chris, John 11 and about the, the, the phrase, and I got it here in the King James. So uh, which I typically teach out of the NIV, but I grabbed my King James on the way here. So um, where Jesus says, and I'll kind of translate it into at least pseudo new King James, you know, Jesus says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there talking about at, at, you know, with Lazarus to the intent that you may believe, nevertheless, let's go into him. Okay. And so basically Jesus makes the comment that I'm glad that I wasn't there um, so that it's going to be good for you, which brings up this the whole theology that God's going to allow or cause bad things to happen. I, I should say cause or allow bad things to happen for his glory. And so one of the arguments that I make is that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that love is not self-seeking, but yet we have an idea of God where he's constantly seeking glory for himself which I think goes in the in the face of the definition that we're given about love. So in 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 John 11, it's essentially a math problem. It goes back to like, you know, sixth grade with the story problems of like if a train's going this far in this direction at this speed, what do you have? <laughs> so we find out 
that Lazarus has been, when Jesus gets to him, Lazarus has been in the grave for four days, okay? So that Jesus, when he found out the news about Lazarus, he took, he says he waited two days before he left, okay? So when this messenger from Mary and Martha went to find Jesus, Jesus, if you go back to John 10, 40, was um, in, uh, he was, it said, beyond the Jordan, and it's believed that he would have been about 20 miles east of, uh, of Jerusalem. So it's going to take this guy about a day to get to him. Yeah. And Jesus then, so this guy, the messenger leaves Mary and Martha. Uh, Lazarus is sick. He goes to um, find Jesus. Would it take him at least a day to get there? It might have taken him another day to find Jesus. Jesus waits two more days, and then they travel the, you know, let's say half day to day's journey to actually get to where Lazarus was. So now we have potentially five days plus that have transpired on this whole thing. Lazarus has been in the grave for four days. So if you do the math, by time Jesus said that statement, Lazarus was already dead. Right. And so the point that I want to make is Jesus, if Jesus would have been there, he would have healed Lazarus. But he's saying, look, although I wasn't there and Lazarus died, this isn't going to end in death. But for your sake, it's good that I wasn't there because you're about to see God do something great. So it's not that he's allowing this to happen because by the time Jesus already got the message, Lazarus was already dead. Right. And, and, you know, unless we're, you know, unless Jesus is going to just teleport over there, which, you know, we could argue he could have. Uh, and so when you look at that, it changes the nature of the conversation and it makes it not about him saying, I'm purposely going to wait these two days and drag my feet so Lazarus will die and then I'll show up because this is going to be good for you. Lazarus was already dead. Jesus knew that. And then he shows right. up so, later so, and heals So two him. things with that is that part of the reason to that Jesus would purposefully make sure that it was four days in the grave is that there was that whole tradition amongst Jews that the body kind of lingered around the body, the soul lingered around the body yes. for three days. And he was making three sure days, exactly. like, we're past the three days, we're at the four day mark. So he waited. I mean, he purposefully yep. waited that long. But there's two times that Jesus talks about the purpose of Lazarus' death, and one of them was the one that you mentioned, where it's where he says in verse 14, "He's dead." I'm glad for your sake, we, I wasn't there, so that you may believe. Again, I'm going NIV. But he said earlier, when the when the messenger first arrived in verse four, he says, "This sickness will not end in death," predicting that he's going to raise him from the dead. He says, "No, it is for God's glory, so that God's <laughs> Son may be glorified through it." Lazarus had. It, the way that I understand that is that Lazarus had to go through the pain of death, and his sister has had to go through the pain of losing their brother. According to Jesus, it is for God's glory, so God's son may be glorified through it. But is again, that, Lazarus is dead by the time the messenger gets to Jesus. Right, but so Lazarus is already dead. But regardless, and Jesus of, is saying, like, I think he's speaking and going. You know, look, I'm not going to allow this. To just be, you know, wasted. Hmm. I'm gonna, I want, we're gonna see something come out on the other side of this, and and you know, you're gonna see something here amazing. I think he's speaking, you know, faith language. I think he's building up his disciples. He's teaching them something through the process. Life happens. God's going to bring the best out of it, hmm. but that's different than saying God's going. I'm going to kill you, Lazarus, or let you die in this way so that I can do this. So I'm fine with people going. Life happens, and 
but God shows up yeah. uh, and and brings something out of those negative circumstances. I just have a problem when we're creating theology that you know God is causing or allowing specifically negative things in order to do so something. So let me let me ask you because because. I'm asking you this because I I don't want to speak for you. If somebody asks me this question, well, what does he mean by what if this happens? Because I don't I don't want to put words in your mouth. And I see I'm I'm more along Billy the way Billy speaks, and that is that God allows things to happen. That's kind of been my experience and my understanding. I've been praying for you both. <laughs> That's been kind of my understanding and experience. But when when I you believe in the power of prayer, like praying for people's healing. And praying yes. for, and so you believe in that. And yes. so the, the, what we've always been taught, at least in my evangelical circles, what we've been taught is that God answers yes, no, and sometimes it's wait, and ultimately there's either a yes, no answer. Is that correct? No, it's not. It's actually completely it's never against yes, no. what Scripture tells us. So what it says in 1 Corinthians is that, is that you know the, the promises are yes in Christ, and we speak the amen. So there's no scripture that ever. T- I mean, we have these Sunday school like cliche answers. Right. It's it's you know um, I, I would call them true truisms, but they're not even truisms. It's it's just a cliche answer that um, you know yes, no, or maybe. Where the word tells us the promises of God are always yes, and that phrase of we speak the amen is literally we're saying let it be so in my life. So I'm claiming God's promise. I'm saying let it be so in my life. And I think that we have the opportunity to be able to, you know, receive that. I don't right. know why bad things happen in certain situations. I don't know, you know, why somebody's uncle died. I don't know why this person got coronavirus. All I know is it wasn't God designing that problem in some way. Well, God didn't or, design. You know, yeah, I don't think God designed the coronavirus, but it's, or or cancer. He didn't design cancer. But I'm just saying, as far as the whole allowing things to happen, because I I have seen people with cancer who've been prayed for and healed and other people prayed for by the same people who prayed for the other person who's healed. And that person didn't get healed, at least not the way that we, that was prayed. And we see that happen with Jesus too. Right. Like we but, see but, places where Jesus but, goes that so how do he I, can't heal anybody. Right. So how do I explain to someone, someone who's especially layman's terms and especially yeah. like borderline believer terms, how do I explain to them? Yes, God healed this person, and he allowed this person to continue to have the cancer and die, even though the same people prayed for him. So I would say, um, first of all, God loves you tremendously. Second of all, we live in a fallen world, but the good news is is that God has redeemed that and provided a way through Christ. Um, there are still, you know, Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles, but mm-hmm. take heart, I've overcome the world. Trouble, wait, troubles, so wait, I think I, troubles that God has allowed— no, of course not that he's allowed. That's the whole well, he point. Didn't cause like, the, no, he, I'm not saying he caused like, the troubles. He, he allows them. No, that I have a problem with that because okay. you're talking about in real time. He allows. He allows. <laughs> this is God speaking in, and I allow. But Someday in heaven, you guys are going to come and apologize to me. That's uh, in, all in, our gladly, mansions, in our larger mansions, in our bigger mansions. Right. Thank you very Am much. $24,000 freezers. But so, but, uh, but that's going to be in a hut, let's be honest. <laughs> Anyway, you so made, I, after you made me name names today, I'm in, I'm oh, looking this forward. This is a rough one. <laughs> I am looking forward to reading the book. I do know that Billy's about to turn into a pumpkin, and we have to go. I want to. We're end gonna with, get you. I, I'm gonna express this thing. I don't I'm, know how I'm quickly I read. I'm, I'm a slow reader. I'm a bad reader. I've got about six books on my bookshelf and another four here on my desk. But yes, all I will underlined stuff for you. I <laughs> have a book coming too, and I may actually send you a copy of it I, this you time. Won't. I'll, I'll, oh. I'll buy one. 
Do you so have a release date? September 8th, yeah. Okay. And All right. Do you want to give the name of it again, Billy? Playing with fire. What was that? Playing with fire. And there's an audiobook, which I'm not doing, luckily. Because I had I did one audiobook in my life, and it was like torture. Um, But I'm excited about it. Yeah, September 8th. And it's Thomas Nelson Eminate. You got to go look, go look for it, find it. So okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm even like pre-sales have been started. And so, so you're ex- you're interviewed in it, right, Lucas? I am, yeah. Okay. Lucas, yeah, I had to talk with demons. Yeah. So. I had some good stories for him. So you've you done, you've you've experienced the demon stuff. I mean, I'm like I'm looking forward to. Actually, this is a, something I would love for us to talk about sometime on the show. To talk about this. Well, let's topic. put it on a let's put it on a future episode. But let's get it closer to when the release date is, so we can really hunt yes. Billy's butt. Yeah, this this and and honestly, like this is one of those topics that nobody really talks. I mean, we talk about it, but not really. A lot of us just avoid it because it's weird. It feels weird, right? Yeah. But it's not weird. It's happening, and it's part of. It's a huge part of the Bible, right? Yes, I mean, it's absolutely. a huge part of Scripture yep. in the New Testament, especially. All right, so I, we can't end it on a serious note. So if bear with me. I found a, I heard a video this week, saw a video this week, and it is spectacular. Okay, and this guy has has a video that his niece or his daughter or somebody has sent to him, and he's doing play by play of this video. And the video is of these two cows come. And that's these two cows. These two dogs are chasing a cow, and it comes through this tree line and across the lawn of this big backyard. And there's an in ground pool, and the dogs chase the cow into the pool. And so they've chased it around. This guy's giving play-by-play. And then eventually a couple cowboys show up out of the blue and they lasso the cow and he gives the play-by-play. And we'll, we'll end with this because it's worth listening to. There you go. All right, I thought y'all want to see this video my niece sent me. Sounds like Lucas. I'm just going to do this real quick. Show it to you. What we got here? We got, we got two dogs chasing the dogs a cow, and the cow out in somebody's backyard. What in the world? The hell is it? Oh, dog bites cow. Oh, cow is in the pool. Oh, my goodness. Dog is going in the pool after the cow. Oh, my goodness. They are in the deep end. They are in the deep end. Dog is biting cow. Cow puts him under the water, dunks him. Dog swimming away. We got dog number two on the side of the pool. Dog number one is going after cow again. Oh, my goodness. The cow's under the diving board. Oh, he's getting out the pool. He's, oh, he can't get out. He Trying can't to climb get up out. The ladder. They both stuck in the pool, in the deep end, over the head. What in the world? What's this in the background? Oh my goodness, we got a cowboy coming in. We got, we got a cowboy coming in. Oh, he's got a lasso. Oh my goodness, no. He, oh, two cowboys. Oh my goodness, cow trying to get out. He's in the shallow end. Lasso. Oh, he's doing the lasso thing. Oh my goodness, he got the cow with the lasso. Oh my goodness, first shot. What in the world the hell is that? Oh my goodness, now the cow pulling the horse. The dog is still in the pool. Got man coming after dog in the pool. Cowboy number two's chasing the cow. Oh, he's trying to lasso the cow again. What in the world? Oh, cowboy two is wheeling in his horse. He just wheeling. Oh, dog's out the pool. Cowboy two is having a hard time. What in the world is this? Dog. Cows in the pool one minute later out the pool lasso the hell Alabama. 
Chris, when you were under the diving board before <laughs> they put the lasso on you to get you out, because the what, rope burns what, what what really bothered. Well, the rope burns what really bothered me, but I'm expecting this guy to go. I can fall out. I mean, it's like, oh my. God, anyway. I'm I'm actually so done with you both right now. All right. You're we're getting a little crispy now. It is yeah, I'm all out. right. So I guess we should end. Awesome. This all right. Just a second here. So Lucas, thank you for coming again. William, good to see you. Eh. You tried to call eh, me today. Thank you for and, having me. Yes, it's fun. You're doing a good job, Lucas. You're keeping us in line and actually making things serious. So which I really you know, I mean, appreciate. Yes, if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> the church boys it's got to be the king <laughs>